It's a win-win for all of us. This morning we are uh, diving into a new teaching series. Uh, it's called Spiritual Formation, but that sounds really boring, so I need to come up with a new title for it. Uh, any, any suggestions at the end of this? I am more than willing and open to hear from you. So if you're after it, you're thinking, that would make a great title, then uh, please do help me. But uh, as we introduce this new series, I introduce you and uh, invite you onto a journey. I'm going to invite all of us together as a people on a journey, a journey that brings peace, a, a journey that brings joy, a journey that will bring uh, a sense of uh, deep satisfaction and wellness to us, a journey that brings wholeness. And it seems like this morning the Lord is just really highlighting that whole thing to many of us. And uh, I know for me, I'm there, a, a series of just deep encounter with the living God that brings about freedom and brings about wholeness to the broken areas of our lives. This journey is a difficult one. It has its highs, it has its lows. It's a journey that we make as individuals, but it's also a journey that we journey with others along the way. It's a journey which, as the Bible makes out, is the narrow path. According to uh, the, an author of a book that I, I've been using and I will use to a certain degree, there's a number of sources that kind of delving into to kind of help write this. The author, Robert Mulholland, uh, his book, Invitation to a Journey, defines spiritual formation simply as a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Just mull that over just for a second. Just take a look. It's a process. It's not a quick fix. It takes time. It takes our life time of being formed, being made into the image of Christ, becoming who we were intended to be from the very beginning, not for our sake, but as we talked about last week, for the sake of others. So that's what we're talking. That's the goal and that's the destination. That's the end point. But the invitation is now today for the journey, the journey that lies ahead. Um, some of you will know that we took a journey uh, during the summer holidays, about maybe about a month ago, we went to uh, our old, uh, where we kind of came from, a big Christian festival called Soul Survivor uh, that meets in Peterborough, uh, kind of the other side of England, but not right the way across to kind of East Anglia, but it's a good way away. And we embarked on this mad journey together, the five of us as a family, we got into our uh, black car, which Intel calls our jalopy uh, for some reason. No, you don't. What do you call it? A dodgem. Oh, yes. Okay, it's a dodgem. Because Chantel has bashed into many things along the way. <laughs> That's not a joke, by the way. <laughs> but we jumped into our dodgem, and uh, we embarked on a two-hour journey down to Dublin, we set off at like quarter to five in the morning. We got there just in time for McDonald's, which was opening up, and we got McDonald's breakfast together, which was wonderful and highly nutritional. Then we embarked on our three and three quarter hour ferry crossing from Dublin across the Hollyhead, which is in the northwest point of Wales. Then we took a bit of a drive and we went to a petrol station to stop off for a toilet break. 
Then we drove a little bit more. We went and took a detour to this really nice kind of town in England. Uh, we departed company. Some went to Subway. Some went to Greg's. Um, depending on your taste. Uh, you can see a pattern here, can't you, in food that's kind of going on. Chantelle went to Waitrose. Oh, Waitrose, darling. Lovely. <laughs> she got a salad, of course. Uh, the drive or the journey continued, and we're on the M40 toll, which basically costs about fiver, I think. But boy, is it worth it because it saves loads of time. And eventually, eventually, we drive across to Peterborough 13 hours later. It was pure joy. <laughs> Can you imagine 13 hours as a family cooped up in the car together? My goodness me, we're fighting after the, um, the plug-in things to keep charging the phones and the iPads and the whatever, just to keep the back three entertained and to stop them killing each other. Destination was Soul Survivor. Well, how does this relate? How does this story relate? It's a journey. Life is a journey. And uh, many of us are on different points of that journey. Some of us uh, who are new Christians, you're discovering your new identity in Him, that deepening relationship that you're having with Him, the way that He's just uh, nurturing who you are and helping you become who it is that He created you to be. Some of you have been going some time now on this journey, and some of us, it feels a bit like we've just hit the wall, kind of got to a place within our spiritual lives and with our, uh, where we feel we're at, and we just feel like we've just hit the wall and we're not really kind of progressing, becoming more like Jesus. Perhaps some actually have lost track slightly. And that often happens along a journey, doesn't it? We uh, made a couple of wrong turns. Um, I'd like to say I'm good at navigation. I'm good with a map, uh, which I am. I'm, I'm not going to be, uh, uh, that's, there's nothing boastful about that or proud about that. I'm just good with a map. But when you start listening to the Australian version of Satnav, which my children have decided would be the voice of the turn right, turn left, they kind of take you different places where you don't want to go. And then you have to resort back to the map. Sometimes we, in our lives, take detours, wrong turns. Others are journeying along nicely. And there are some. Perhaps you, you're not quite yet on the journey. To those of us who are on the journey, Paul's encouragement to us is this. He who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Would you just take a moment, just let's take a moment of this. What we're beginning to do is we're beginning to practice some of the things that we're going to be practicing over the next number of weeks. Just chew on that for a second. Meditate on that. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally through it. What's he saying? How does it make you think? How does it make you feel? Contemplating, meditating, and allowing the deep 
truth of God's word to begin to change us, to begin to form us, to make us more like him. He's the one who works in us. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one that brings about the change. And yet I think with spiritual formation, many of us think it's about us. It's about what we do. And we put ourselves in charge of the whole thing. When I became a Christian, I embarked on certain spiritual disciplines that we call them. So, and no one told me what to do, by the way. I just thought that Christians prayed. And actually, before I was a Christian, I was praying. I was praying that something terrible wouldn't happen. And as I continued to pray, I, I began to develop relationship with Jesus. No one taught me that. No one told me that. I just began that. It's a little bit like a warm-up, a warm-up to the beginning of the race. I was already praying. And before school, I would get up and I would spend some time praying. Invariably, there was a time I came back from school and I used to pray as well. It was a discipline that I made myself. I started reading the Bible. Someone had given me a, a very thin copy of Mark's Gospel. And it had a, a, like a reading plan at the back of it. Like I think Mark has 16 chapters. They divided it into like half a chapter a day. And over the course of a month, you read the whole of Mark's Gospel. I know some of you are struggling that with the mathematics there. There's not 32 days and all the rest in a month, but they have like a checklist of ticking off, and I did that for a month. Every single day I read the passage, ticked it off, and I sent in the voucher and got sent a New Testament Bible. I thought that was a good deal, so that's what I did. And those spiritual disciplines, which no one had told me to do, but I just thought that's what Christians do, began to work. They began to feed my soul. They began to bring about a change. Now, who's doing the changing? It was him. It's God who brings about, who works in us to bring about the change. But I was employing various uh, disciplines in order to get there. Now, here's the thing. If I was continuing to do those very same things with time, they may work, they may not work. And here's where I think many of us get stuck. We employ if we do A, B, and C, we'll get to be like Jesus. Help me to explain this. I think some of us practice techniques or methods to get the desired effect that we want, to attain knowledge, to gain insight. Spiritual disciplines are in order that we become more like Jesus. But yet, we make it about us. If I do this, this will happen. And the point I'm trying to make in a roundabout kind of not very good way is it's God who changes us. Let me ask these questions. Who finds it hard to read the Bible consistently? Who finds it hard to approach scriptures in such a way that you're inviting God to speak to you frequently through them? Who finds it difficult to carve out time to actually spend time in his presence? Who finds it difficult in order to do this, this, and this. My sense is that many of us do. And I think what it leads to is one of two things. One is we just keep doing the same things 
day after day after day, and it becomes religious. And it becomes like a religious experience. Or the flip side is we do nothing. And we stop completely. And then we feel really bad about ourselves because we're rubbish at praying. Or we're rubbish at reading our Bibles. My guess is that many of us kind of feel that way. And we feel like we've kind of hit the wall slightly. Mulholland in his book says, we see this kind of process as like a static possession. Something that we just stop and it's all about us rather than a dynamic ever developing growth spirituality becoming like jesus is a journey it is a timed process of becoming he shapes our path along the journey his grace redeems our detours his power liberates us from bondage from our prior journey and his transforming presence meets us at every turn I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that one of the disciplines which I felt God has been pressing upon me is the whole air of silence and solitude. And it's something that I've been scared of doing for the very reason I don't, I fear what God might say to me. And yet I know it's the very tool or discipline that God is inviting me to journey with him right now. And it's actually something that I've been doing over the last two or three weeks. Just spending a bit of time. There's no set time. It's random time when I just simply, usually on my bed, just lie down and just spend time and invite God just to come. And anything he wants to say, say. Practicing his presence. Posturing my heart. Being open to him and what he might do and what he might say. I'm rubbish at it. But like lots of things, the more we do something, the better we become. So that's just the practice that I'm on right now. And I think that's the point that we employ various things at various times in order to meet what the Father is leading us into. God's in charge. He's the one who brings about transformation. Okay, two words, justification and sanctification. They're big, long words, uh, a bit tricky to spell. Uh, here's what they are. For some of you, you'll know exactly what I mean already, but for others, you're like, well, oh, what's he talking about? So justification simply means this, that our sin separated us from God before we were once saved. But because of the cross of Jesus and because of the turning and the posturing of our hearts and we say, God, come and forgive me for all that stuff. Come, I choose relationship with you. He, at that moment, we are justified before him. His grace and his mercy sets us free. We are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It's enough, job done. That's justification. Sanctification is becoming like Jesus. So the man on the cross beside Jesus, you know, gives, you know, says those things. Remember me when you come to be with your father. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Right at that moment, justified, enough, done, dusted. Eternity in heaven. I've had the privilege 
uh, a couple of times of praying with people, hours, literally hours from their death, their passing, and, uh, and leading in a way that they give their lives to Jesus, and the hours become justified, enough. But sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. So when we become a Christian, or when we give our lives to Jesus, we embark on this invitation, this journey towards becoming more like him because he loves us enough not to leave us as we are. He loves us that we would become more like Jesus. There's loads and loads of verses in the New Testament, especially in the epistles, um, that is all about sanctification. Here's just one of them from Philippians. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There are two people involved in this verse, us and God. And we could read that passage from the context of us and go where Paul writes continue to work out your salvation. We could look at that and go, it's all about us again. It's all about what we do. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to try real hard. And let us be real clear on this. This does not mean that we become saved or we have salvation through good works. There's lots of other places in the scriptures which talks about that. What this is meaning is sanctification. It's about becoming. It's about becoming more like Jesus, working out our salvation and working out our becoming with fear and trembling. But here's the thing. It is God who works in you to fulfill his good purpose. So folks, over this journey that we're going to have together, please let us come from the viewpoint. It is not about us. It is about what God does in us and through us and transforming us. It's him who does it. Question. What do you think God really thinks about us? When he looks upon us. What do you really think he thinks about us? Here's what. He looks at us and he thinks we're a dirty pile of muck. That's what he thinks about us. You weren't expecting that. In Jeremiah, there is an incredible passage which I love. God takes Jeremiah to the potter's house and he allows Jeremiah to watch the potter fashion or mold something on his wheel. The clay is distorted, and so he shapes it into something else, something new. And God speaks to Jeremiah through this, <coughs> saying, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. 
are just like a lump of old dirt. Bashed around, marred, on his wheel. And he's just fashioning something incredible out of our lives. He's making all things new. To be on the wheel, we need to be in the race. We need to be on the journey. But if God is going to really fashion something wonderful out of our lives, clay needs to be soft. If it's brittle and hard, it's pretty hard to work with, I think. And we need to come before the Lord with a posture of softness, of openness, of surrender, where we position and posture our lives in such a way as we say, God, even though it's not going to feel nice when you stick your thumbs into me, you're going to fashion something really nice and really amazing in my life. So this is just a bit of an introduction. What's going to be coming up? Here's uh, uh, in the next number of weeks as we journey together, just get a little bit of a heads up. Uh, four sections from the book. We're not going to follow the book religiously at all. Like I said, we're going to look at different places, but this is quite helpful. There's the road map, the vehicle, the journey, and companions on the way. And because I like running a little bit, uh, I thought I would use the uh, analogy of marathon running to kind of help us to understand this a little bit. So the road map. Whenever you run a marathon, it's always good to see what the route is. The Belfast Marathon has changing its route for next year, which is an answer to prayer for many marathon runners, it, whether they pray, pray or not. It's wonderful. I've seen the new route, and it's absolutely fantastic. The slight flip side to it is on a Sunday, but that's a different matter. It's important when you look at the route that's ahead, you see where the hills are, you see the, where the water stations are, where they give out gels, where there's crazy Christians that line the side of it and cheer runners on. And sometimes, uh, as I've learned a couple of times, it's helpful to know where the toilets are as well. We've begun this journey, the course that lies ahead, the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And then secondly, we'll look at the vehicle in running, it's ourselves. It's our own two feet, one in front of the other, that gets through the journey. The beauty of marathon running is it takes all sorts. Different gender, different ages, different backgrounds, different levels of experience, different shapes and sizes, different DNA, but all on the same route, all on the same journey, going together. The important thing is we're all different. And there's no one-size-fits-all kind of strategy towards becoming like Jesus. Because of our different personalities, our different levels of intelligence, our different experiences and backgrounds, there will be different ways in which we'll connect better or more deeply with God than other people because we're so different. The journey of marathon running requires discipline, it requires training, nutrition, preparation and clothing. And we will major a number of weeks on looking at spiritual disciplines. Help me out as well, I just don't like that terminology. But as you, 
give me kind of uh, suggestions for spiritual formation. We change that name. Help us come up with a different name for that. That would be really helpful. But we will look at some of those in fresh ways, in ways which I think you're going to be inspired by and encouraged by in order to practice some of them. And then lastly, companions on the way. The joy of running marathons is that you don't do it on your own. You get to do it with other people around you. And if you were with us last week, you will have heard deliberately a teaching all about running together, journeying together as a family, which is what we are. As we do this, we spur each other on to becoming more like Jesus. That's why life groups are so important. That's why signing up and joining one and being part of one is so important. As we end, we're going to end with that verse again. Can we have it, the Jeremiah one? What's happened here? Have I... Someone come in and change it? How did that happen? My goodness. So we're going to begin this morning, right here, right now, with a little bit of time, not long. And I hope you're okay with this. Um, bless you. Just read that passage. And now reflect on it. And where it says Israel your name in there. What's God saying to you through that? What's he inviting you to do. What's he speaking to you about through that? Is he inviting you something just meditate on it chew on it
throughout the rest of this day reflect on that. So go back to that. See if you can memorize that verse. That's what we teach our kids, isn't it? And rockets and the various groups, memory verses. See if we memorize that. I'm going to test you next week. Now for some of us, that's the first quiet time we've had in weeks. You know, we talk about the quiet time. It's so important that we have it. And it will be different for all of us when we do it, don't do it. Let's not get religious about it. I hope this morning you've just begun to get a little bit of a sense of what we're trying to do over the next few weeks. Just allowing God just to speak through his word and through the person of the Holy Spirit.